Volume Two, Chapter One of the Vicar of Rexhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vicar of Rexhill by Francis Milton Trollope. Volume Two, Chapter One. Charles Mowbray's arrival at the park. Never had Rosalind Torrington so strongly felt the want of some one to advise her what to do as the morning after this disagreeable scene. Had she consulted her inclination only, she would have remained in her own apartments till the return of Mrs. Mowbray and Helen but more than one reason prevented her doing so. In the first place, she was not without hope that her letter would immediately bring young Mowbray home, and it would be equally disagreeable to miss seeing him by remaining in her dressing-room, or to leave it expressly for the purpose of doing so. And secondly, however far her feelings might be from perfect confidence and esteem towards Miss Cartwright, she felt that she owed her something, and that it would be ungrateful and almost cruel to leave her tete-a-tete -tete with the bewildered Fanny, or en tiers with her and the vicar she therefore determined to run the risk of encountering mr cartwright as usual but felt greatly at a loss how to treat him their last demelee had been too serious to be forgotten by either and her opinion of him was such that far from wishing to conciliate him or in any way to efface the impression of what she had said on leaving him her inclination and her principles both led her to the wish that it should be indelible and that nothing should ever lessen the distance that was now placed between them but rosalind felt all the difficulty of maintaining this tone towards a person not only on terms of intimate friendship with the family but considered by part of it as a man whose word ought to be law she began to fear as she meditated on the position in which she was placed that mowbray park could not long continue to be her home the idea of helen and what she would feel at losing her drew tears from her eyes and then the remembrance of her irish home of her lost parents and the terrible contrast between what she had heard last night and the lessons and opinions of her dear father made them flow abundantly the day passed heavily miss cartwright appeared to think she had done enough and devoted herself almost wholly to the perusal of a french metaphysical work which she had found in the library fanny was silent and sad and seemed carefully to avoid being left for a moment alone with rosalind mr cartwright made no visit to the house during the morning but judy informed her mistress when she came to arrange her dress for dinner that the reverend gentleman had been walking in the shrubberies with miss fanny and in the evening he made his entrance as usual through the drawing-room window it was the result of a strong effort produced by very excellent feeling that kept rosalind in her room when she saw him approach but she had little doubt that if she went miss cartwright would follow her and she resolved that his pernicious tete-a-tetes with fanny should not be rendered more frequent by any selfishness of hers it was evident to her from mr cartwright's manner through the whole evening that it was his intention to overload her with gentle kindness in order to set off in strong relief her harsh and persecuting spirit towards him but not even her wish to defeat this plan could enable her to do more than answer by civil monosyllables when he spoke to her miss cartwright laid aside her book and resumed her netting as soon as she saw him approach but as usual she sat silent and abstracted and the conversation was wholly carried on by the vicar and his pretty proselyte no man perhaps had a greater facility in making conversation than the vicar of rexhill his habit of extempore preaching in which he was thought by many to excel probably contributed to give him this power but not only had he an endless flow of words wherewith to clothe whatever thoughts suggested themselves but moreover a most happy faculty of turning everything around him to account every object animate or inanimate furnished a theme and let him begin from what point he would unless in the presence of noble or influential personages to whom he believed it would be distasteful he never failed to bring the conversation round to the subject of regeneration and grace the blessed hopes of himself and his sect and the assured damnation of all the rest of the world 
Fanny Mowbray listened to him with an earnestness that amounted to nervous anxiety, lest she should lose a word. His awful dogmas had taken fearful hold of her ardent and ill-regulated imagination, while his bland and affectionate manner, his fine features and graceful person, rendered him altogether an object of the most unbounded admiration and interest to her. As an additional proof, probably, that he did not shrink from persecution, Mr. Cartwright again opened the pianoforte as soon as the tea equipage was removed, and asked Fanny if she would sing with him. "'With you, Mr. Cartwright?' she exclaimed in an accent of glad surprise. "'I did not know that you sang. Oh, how I wish that I were a greater proficient, that I might sing with you as I would wish to do.' "'Sing with me, my dear child, with that sweet and pious feeling which I rejoice to see hourly increasing in your heart.' sing thus my dearest child and you will need no greater skill than heaven is sure to give to all who raise their voice to it this little book my dear fanny he continued drawing once more the manuscript volume from his pocket contains much that your pure and innocent heart will approve do you know this air and he pointed to the notes of la ci darem la mano oh yes said fanny i know it very well then play it my good child this too we have taken as spoil from the enemy and instead of profane italian words you will here find in your own language thoughts that may be spoken without fear fanny instantly complied and though her power of singing was greatly inferior to that of rosalind the performance aided by the fine bass voice of mr cartwright and an accompaniment very correctly played was very agreeable fanny herself thought that she had never sung so well before and required only to be told by the vicar what she was to do next to prolong the performance till considerably past mr cartwright's usual hour of retiring about an hour after the singing began henrietta approached miss torrington and said in a whisper too low to be heard at the instrument my head aches dreadfully can you spare me as she had not spoken a single syllable since the trio entered the drawing-room after dinner rosalind could not wholly refrain from a smile as she replied why yes i think i can i am not jesting i am suffering rosalind you will not leave that girl alone with him dear henrietta cried rosalind taking her hand with ready sympathy i will not should they sing together till morning but is there nothing i can do for you nothing i can give you that may relieve your head nothing nothing good-night and she glided out of the room unseen by fanny and unregarded by her father it more than once occurred to miss torrington during the two tedious hours that followed her departure that mr cartwright who from time to time stole a glance at her prolonged his canticles for the purpose of making her sit to hear them a species of penance for her last night's offence by no means ill-imagined at length however he departed and after exchanging a formal good-night the young ladies retired to their separate apartments Rosalind rose with a heavy heart the following morning, hardly knowing whether to wish for a letter from Charles Mowbray, which it was just possible the post might bring to her, or not. If a letter arrived, there would certainly be no hope of seeing him, but if it did not, she should fancy every sound she heard foretold his approach, and she almost dreaded having to answer all the questions he would come prepared to ask. This state of suspense, however, did not last long, for at least one hour before it was possible that a letter could arrive, Charles Mowbray, in a chaise with four foaming post-horses, rattled up to the door. Rosalind descried him from her window before he reached the house, and her first feeling was certainly one of embarrassment, as she remembered that it was her summons which had brought him there. But a moment's reflection not only recalled her motives, but the additional reasons she now had for believing she had acted wisely. So, arming herself with the consciousness of being right, she hastened downstairs to meet him, in preference to receiving a message through a servant, requesting to see her. She found him, as she expected, 
in a state of considerable agitation and alarm and feeling most truly anxious to remove whatever portion of this was unnecessary she greeted him with the most cheerful aspect she could assume saying i fear my letter has terrified you mr mowbray more than i wish to do but be quite sure that now you are here everything will go on as it ought to do and of course when your mother returns we can neither of us have any farther cause of anxiety about fanny and what is your cause of anxiety about her at present miss torrington for heaven's sake explain yourself fully you know not how i have been tormenting myself by fearing i know not what i am bound to explain myself fully said rosalind gravely but it is not easy i assure you only tell me at once what it is you fear do you imagine mr cartwright hopes to persuade fanny to marry him i certainly did think so said rosalind but i believe now that i was mistaken thank heaven cried the young man fervently this is a great relief rosalind i assure you i believe now i can pretty well guess what it is you do fear and though it is provoking enough it cannot greatly signify we shall soon cure her of any fit of evangelicalism with which the vicar is likely to infect her heaven granted exclaimed rosalind uttering a fervent ejaculation in her turn never doubt it miss torrington i have heard a great deal about this cartwright at oxford he is a cambridge man by the way and there are lots of men there who think him quite an apostle but the thing does not take at oxford and i assure you he is famously quizzed but the best of the joke is that his son was within an ace of being expelled for performing more outrageous feats in the larking line than any man in the university and in fact he must have been rusticated had not his pious father taken him home before the business got wind to prepare him privately for his degree they say he is the greatest pickle in oxford and that spite of the new light his father is such an ass as to believe that all this is ordained only to make his election more glorious for his election mr mowbray i certainly do not care much but for your sister though i am aware that at her age there may be a very reasonable hope that the pernicious opinion she is now imbibing may be hereafter removed yet i am very strongly persuaded that if you were quite aware of the sort of influence used to convert her to mr cartwright's calvinistic tenets you would not only disapprove it but use very effectual measures to put her quite out of his way indeed i confess this appears to me very unnecessary surely the best mode of working upon so pure a mind as fanny's is to reason with her and to show her that by listening to these pernicious rhapsodies she is in fact withdrawing herself from the church of her father's but i think this may be done without sending her out of mr cartwright's way well replied rosalind very meekly now you are here i am quite sure that you will do everything that is right and proper mrs mowbray cannot be much longer absent and when she returns you will perhaps have some conversation with her upon the subject certainly and so sir gilbert has absolutely refused to act as executor he has indeed in spite of the most earnest entreaties from helen whatever mischief happens i shall always think he is answerable for it for his refusal to act through your mother at once upon seeking counsel from mr cartwright as to what it was necessary for her to do and from that hour the house has never been free from him for a single day provoking obstinacy replied mowbray yet after all rosalind the worst mischief as you call it that can happen is our not being on such pleasant terms with them as we used to be and the colonel is at home too i must and will see him let the old man be as cross as he will but where is your little saint you don't keep her locked up i hope rosalind and where is this miss of the new birth that you told me of young mowbray threw a melancholy glance round the empty room as he spoke and the kind-hearted rosalind understood his feelings and truly pitied him how different was this return home from any other he had made the room looks desolate does it not mr mowbray even i feel it so i will go and let fanny know you are here but what reason shall i assign for your return none at all miss torrington the whim took me and i am here 
things are so much better than i expected that i shall probably be back again in a day or two but i must contrive to see young harrington rosalind left the room heartily glad that fanny's brother was near her but not without some feeling of mortification at the little importance he appeared to attach to the information she had given him a few short weeks before rosalind would have entered fanny's room with as much freedom as her own but the schism which has unhappily entered so many english houses under the semblance of superior piety was rapidly doing its work at mowbray park and the true friend the familiar companion the faithful counsellor stood upon the threshold and ventured not to enter till she had announced her approach by a knock at the dressing-room door come in was uttered in a gentle and almost plaintive voice by fanny miss torrington entered and to her great astonishment saw mr cartwright seated beside fanny a large bible lying open on the table before them she looked at them for one moment without speaking the vicar spread his open hand upon the volume as if to point out the cause of his being there and as his other hand covered the lower part of his face the expression of his countenance was concealed fanny coloured violently and the more so perhaps because she was conscious that her appearance was considerably changed since she had met miss torrington at breakfast all her beautiful curls had been carefully straightened by the application of a wet sponge and her hair was now entirely removed from her forehead and plastered down behind her poor little distorted ears as closely as possible never was metamorphosis more complete beautiful as her features were the lovely picture which fanny's face used to present to the eye required her bright waving locks to complete its charm and without them she looked more like a chinese beauty on a japan screen than like herself something approaching to a smile passed over rosalind's features which the more readily found place there perhaps from the belief that charles's arrival would soon set her ringlets curling again fanny your brother has come said she and he's waiting for you in the drawing-room charles cried fanny forgetting for a moment her new character and hastily rising she had almost quitted the room when she recollected herself and turning back said you will come too to see charles mr cartwright i will come as usual this evening my dear child said he with the appearance of great composure but i will not break in upon him now was his return expected he asked carelessly as he took up his hat and as he spoke rosalind thought that his eye glanced towards her no indeed replied fanny i never was more surprised did he say rosalind what it was brought him home i asked him to state his reason for it replied miss torrington and he told me he could assign nothing but whim rosalind looked in the face of the vicar as she said this and she perceived a slight but to her perfectly perceptible change in its expression he was evidently relieved from some uneasy feeling or suspicion by what she had said go to your brother my dear child let me not detain you from so happy a meeting for a moment fanny again prepared to leave the room but as she did so her eye chanced to rest upon her own figure reflected from a mirror above the chimney-piece she raised her hand almost involuntarily to her hair will not charles think me looking very strangely said she turning toward mr cartwright with a blushing cheek and very bashful eye he whispered something in her ear in reply which heightened her blush and induced her to answer with great earnestness oh no and without farther doubt or delay she ran downstairs miss torrington followed her not thinking it necessary to take any leave of the vicar who gently found his way downstairs and out of the house as he had found his way into it without troubling any servant whatever End of chapter 1